0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Want to invite you to come and worship with us any Sunday you'd like to come. We would love to have you. We do a nine o'clock service and 11 o'clock service, and we are so excited about what God is doing in our church. Lives are being transformed and people are being added to the church, and we'd love to have you to be part of our church family. So if you're looking for a church, come on and check us out. If you just need a place to worship this Sunday, come on and worship with us. We'd love to have you with us. You know, one of the things I really love about our church and the church as a whole, not just our church, right? I'm not so uh, prideful to think that our church is the only church doing it. As a matter of fact, if you're part of a church that you think your church is the only right church, uh, I hate to beg to differ. Uh, God has numerous churches that he uses in our community because different churches are gonna reach different people. You know, the people that my church reaches, your church might not reach, and vice versa. But you know, all of us have been given this great commission, right? Jesus gave a great command, and he gave a great commission. The great commission is found in Matthew 28 19 and 20. Basically, go out and make disciples. Go out, be an evangelist, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, teaching them to observe all things. Jesus says, I'll be with you always even unto the ends of the days, okay? So our great commission as a church is to go out, be an evangelist, make disciples. Jesus also gave a great command. The great command is you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus says the whole law could be summarized in this great command and his great commission All of the 10 commandments. Now, that's not saying he has eradicated the 10 commandments. He's saying this is how you can summarize the 10 commandments By loving your neighbor as you love yourself, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And so today I want to talk to you about the mission of the church. In a very large city, there was once a prominent church building. It was a beautiful four-story structure. And this building dominated a city block on which it stood. It was well known in the community for its beauty, its dignity. It's well-educated preacher, a choir of professional quality, and a congregation filled with wealthy and very important people. And in the foyer of their church building, there was a beautiful 10-foot marble statue of Jesus with his arms outstretched. It was an impressive congregation, but unfortunately, it was also a congregation that was slowly dying. Why? because they didn't try to bring people to Jesus. They thought people would just automatically come because of their impressive building, because of their eloquent preacher, because of their marvelous choir and their membership. One night, a fire broke out, and the building went up in flames. The floor under the statue of Jesus gave way, and his statue crushed into the basement of the church building. That afternoon, after the fire department had doused out the flames, workmen started to clean up and remove any kind of surviving valuables. It was then that they found the statue of Jesus in the basement. It had hardly a mark on it. Gently, they got a cable around it, lifted it up with a crane, and set it out on the sidewalk. Two businessmen were passing by, and they looked at the ruins of the church and the statue of Jesus, and one said, well, looks like Jesus is all they've got left. Listen, maybe that's how you feel today. You feel like all I have left is Jesus, but if that's all you have left, you have everything you need. You know, until COVID-19, until that pandemic hit us, Most probably, we didn't uh, see the importance of being quite as evangelistic, and we were not quite as creative as we are today in carrying out evangelism. As a matter of fact, many didn't see how video games, of all things, could be a good way to share the gospel. But there's a man that ran a soccer academy, and in his soccer academy, he had a lot of refugees and he had a lot of immigrants in Houston that would come. And, uh, and they would play soccer, and he tried to use this as a platform to share the gospel with children. When the coronavirus paused in-person outreach, this ministry came up with an alternative. Soccer coaches would begin playing video games on live streaming platforms and invite players to watch, and as players would watch, they would ask spiritual questions. The participants would talk to each other as they played, and they would type back and forth in a chat box. It was a huge hit. Teenage soccer players, who were reluctant to even spend 15 minutes discussing spiritual matters prior to COVID, all of a sudden were engaging for three and four hours over video games online. Eventually, the ministry opened up its Twitch channel to the public and began to establish a presence on other gaming platforms as well, with coaches talking with people online. Among the success stories, a man from the Netherlands professed faith in Christ while gaming, then brought five friends to hear the gospel too. The people that were starting to observe on these gaming platforms are actually seeking a lot of spiritual things. They're very hungry for the gospel. Now, some Christians have moral qualms with video games and, and have shied away from these esports. Many video games are real world sports, but others include things that we don't want to be involved in, like violent content and even sexualization. Well, these are concerns, obviously, so we steer away from those. But as you think about the most professional esports players that are given the ability to give a Christian testimony openly, they have discovered a blessing of seeing people. Come to Christ. You know, I want you to know that we should use every available means to reach every available person. Now, the reason I love my church is because the church is where evangelism takes place. In John chapter 3, verse number 30, John says, He must increase, I must decrease. Now, this is a popular verse. But here we discover that John is reminding us, and he's giving us this great outcry with great joy, and he says, the way that I can be a true light is when I decrease and Christ increased. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now, as we think about history and how God has moved in the past, we can assume that God will move in a similar fashion in the future, or he may use some different methods But the way of getting the message out is always people reaching people. When we think about how God did it in the past, Ezekiel built on the ministry of Daniel, his contemporary. We think about how God used Job in the power of prayer and reaching his generation. We think about how Peter and Paul, how they complemented one another. And even though they weren't perfect people, and even though they, they ran into some struggles from time to time, God used them in a miraculous way. I want you to know that God can even use some people who we don't agree with. And sometimes God uses us in spite of ourselves and not because of ourselves. You know, I learned about a sad truth about Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther was so discontented at the Reformation that was wrought about because he wrote those 95 theses on the Witten door at the castle in Wittenberg that they had a celebration in his absence. But he was so upset that they had a celebration without him being there that he threatened to approve those things that he disapproved and to disprove those things that he approved. Now, this is unbelievable that a man of that caliber would be so small in his thinking. So it's hard for a a man to see those who are his equals being lifted over his head. Why do we struggle with this? Because self-love makes us unreasonable. And it even teaches us to turn things around, approving things that we would never approve, and disproving things that we would never disprove. Of you see, John reminds us, "I must decrease; Christ must increase." Now, Jesus gives us some really good teaching about how this can happen in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen through sixteen. Jesus said, "You are the salt of the earth, but..." If the salt loses its saltiness, how then can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. Then Jesus continues by saying, You are the light of the world. A town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or under a bushel. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light so shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Rick Warren said, at the end of my life on earth, I will never regret having made too big a sacrifice for Jesus. But I will regret having made one too small what is he saying? He's saying, you're going to get through the end of your life. You're not going to say, man, I I regret that I gave so much to the Lord. But at the end of our lives, you can say, man, I wish I could have given more. When we think about this statement that Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, a grain of salt or a pinch of salt means that we can accept a degree of skepticism about truth. This whole idea came from the fact that food, for example, Is easier to swallow if it has a little bit of salt on it. You know, that brings it that flavor. This is a message that we are to the world. We are bringing flavor to the world because we are the salt of the world. C.S. Lewis put it this way. The Christian says, creatures are not both are born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. In other words, a baby feels hunger well, then there is such a thing as food. You know, a duckling wants to swim. Well, then there's such a thing as water. You know, God has given men a sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. Lewis goes on and says, If I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or never to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else which they're only a kind of a copy of or an echo of or a mirage of. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to the country and to help others do the same. Wow, what powerful words. You know, Jesus reminds us on the Sermon on the Mount that his followers were given a new purpose to be salt and light. We provide a glimpse of heaven, only a glimpse of heaven, so that we can give them the truth of what lies in store for them in the future. Well, here's some things about evangelism that I think will really help you. Number one is that people will experience Jesus' community when we live up to the values that we proclaim the Beatitudes that Jesus speaks about. These are the values of the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is like, blessed are the poor, Jesus said. Now, Jesus didn't say poor. He said poor in spirit. You see, financial problems can be fixed through human efforts, but a poor spirit can only be fixed through God. That's why God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know their spirit is broken can only be restored by the Lord. Those who have come to an end of themselves can then begin to be blessed by the Spirit of God because Jesus says, The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. Those who acknowledge their sorrow get comforted. If you deny your loss, you cannot be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. They have that need to be comforted. They will. Be comforted. And Jesus said, Blessed are the meek. You know, God loves to give the best to those who surrender to Him. So He says, Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's what is referred to as the abundant life, the ability to rule the earth without worshiping the earth. Then Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, when we want righteousness, As much as we want our next meal, then we'll be satisfied. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, when you think about this matter of righteousness, we are truly only as righteous as we choose to be. Then Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Now, Jesus here is talking about the law of sowing and reaping. Do you want mercy? Then you show mercy. It might be delayed, but it will arrive just on time. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Then Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, God really hates phony people, people with false motives and fake hearts. You see, when your heart is clean, like a clean window, you see God more clearly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You will experience, you will know, you will comprehend just how great God is. Then Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, peace is not automatic. It's not peace at all costs. It's not peacekeepers. It's not peace pursuers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is talking about those whose heart are at peace with God and others. Peacemakers don't look at a reason to destroy peace. Peacemakers build reasons to make peace. Peacemaking is a godly endeavor. It says, for they shall be called the children of God. And that's why Paul in Hebrews chapter 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, nobody will see God. Well, Jesus continues on, and he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness sake. You see, persecution for doing what is wrong is not a blessing. It's what we deserve. Persecution for doing what is right is part of the journey that takes us to heaven. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, the promise of persecution is given to us, but there's also a reward that comes with that persecution. So Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we look at the first point about being strong in evangelism and sharing the faith, people will experience Jesus in our lives when they see us living out the values, the kingdom values, these values that we just went through, the values that appear to be opposite of the world because they're not of the world. So they are opposite of the world. Here's a second value that we must embrace as we live out our values in our daily, ordinary lives. Paul tells us that, that God has chosen what is insignificant and what is despised in this world. What we view as nothing, God uses to bring something about. I have found that people come to Christ through random acts of kindness, through everyday conversations. Things that we think are making an impact are often making a, a huge difference in the lives of others. It is very likely that the apostles here are referring to the Gentiles and the Gentile converts who are considered the base and the despicable people in the eyes of the Jews. They were considered themselves as, as no better than dogs, right? And they're repeatedly calling themselves like the scum of the earth but they were the very people converted to Christianity. They were the very people that God used because their lives changed, their values changed. I'm not sure who said this, but it's a great quote. You know, you may be too qualified to share in serving those who are beneath you, but you are never underqualified for God to use you. Now, you may have some people in your life says, I don't want you in my life. You're below me. I want nothing to do with you. But you will never be underqualified for God to use you. God will never say, I can't use you. You have nothing to offer. You have discovered something about the people that God uses. Some people are so full of themselves that God can't use them. But none of us are so empty of ourselves that God cannot and will not use us. Living out just the ordinary values in our daily lives is a great way to show the love of Christ in our community. Well, there's a third way. I've discovered that those who have truly experienced the help of Jesus can help others. You see, when we receive salvation, we have a great testimony of what Jesus did for us. And all of a sudden, we become this light on a hill that cannot be hidden. Our light just shines. You know, it's really hard to dislike somebody when they do something really good for you. We are told to be light. We are told to be salt. We become stronger. Our salt becomes stronger. We become tastier, and our light begins to shine brighter when there's certain things that we have in our life. And let me just share a couple of them with you here quickly, okay? Our salt becomes saltier, and our light becomes brighter when we're living on our faith, even when it costs us something. Paul put it this way to the Galatian believers. He says, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't faint in acting nobly and doing what is right. For in due time, we shall reap. If we don't loosen up and relax our courage, we will reap. Peter says, keep on doing what is right. Trust yourself to God who made you for he will never fail you. You see, our salt becomes saltier, our light becomes brighter when we're living out our faith, even when it costs us something. We see, secondly, that praying for people as if their life depends upon it makes a difference. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They do not even know what they're doing. James tells us that the earnest prayer for a righteous person is of great power and produces wonderful results. You know, a few years ago, it was a Friday afternoon, a young man attempted to take his life. Now, thankfully, I had the opportunity to spend just a few minutes with him, and thankfully, he was not successful in taking his life. I asked if he wanted to talk. He said, no, I'm going to commit suicide. So I said, can I pray for you? He agreed that I could pray for him. So I prayed, Lord, help this young man see that his life is worth living. I'm going to talk to this man. And I did talk to that man the next day. That was a Saturday. That man had a change of heart. He said that simple little prayer, Lord, show me that my life is worth living. Awakened him. I had the privilege of leading that man to Christ that next day. I promised him I was going to come back and see him. I went back to see him. He was on suicide watch. I went back to see him and he was gloriously born again. You know, Jesus is on that cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That man who was attempting to take his life didn't even know what he was doing. When Jesus prayed that prayer from the cross, he wasn't praying in arrogance. He wasn't saying, oh, those stupid people. He was praying with a broken heart. He was saying, oh, these people that I love have no idea what they're doing. As we pray for people, we should pray as if their life depends upon our prayers, because it literally does. Number three. Helping people to get past their spiritual sticking points in their lives is a way to share the gospel with others. In Luke chapter 7, we discover the blind were receiving their sight, the lame were able to walk because Jesus was healing them, the lepers were being cleansed, the deaf could hear, the dead were raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What is the sticking point in a person's life? Something that is holding them back. Meet them at that need. And then lastly, taking spiritual risks to offer gestures of grace. We learn from Colossians chapter 4 that we're to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. In other words, look for opportunities to be gracious and then act upon that grace. Well, I hope you'll join me tomorrow as I talk to you about the significance of being salt and and light we have a great opportunity to share the gospel why don't you look for that opportunity right now if you pray a three-pronged prayer i promise you that god will open up a door for you today to share the gospel pray lord give me the boldness to share the gospel today number two lord give me the wisdom to see that person coming into my life that i should share the gospel with and then number three lord give me the wisdom to share in the right way, in the right timing, with the right attitude. If you pray that three-pronged prayer, God will open up an opportunity for you today to share the gospel. Pray believing that God is going to use you, and I promise you that He will. Well, thank you so much for listening. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunny service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.